turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. But the main reason why this passage is important, because as I said, it reveals two reasons why you can be sure that Christ will come again, even when you're faced with skeptics, even uh, even if they might be in your own family, those who, who mock at the coming of Christ and mock your faith, or maybe some uh, there are some doubts that have entered your mind because of some television uh, documentaries that question the truthfulness of the Bible with so-called new evidence, which is really nothing uh, that should that should cause us alarm, but some have uh, have doubted because of that. Well, these verses will help you because they they ought to give you great assurance that Jesus is coming again. The verses that give us that assurance are in Second Peter chapter one, which has been our text now for several days. Today, Pastor Steve Kreloff is beginning his final message in this series. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And Verse by Verse is our means of making his helpful Bible teaching available to a larger audience. It's always a little disturbing when people far distant from an event claim to be able to speak about it with more authority than those who were actually there. Years ago, as an industrial electrician, I had to fix a particularly odd problem with a press. I came back into the shop and told the two electricians that were there what had happened. One of them immediately piped up and said, that's impossible, couldn't have happened. All I could think of to say is, really, tell me what you saw happen. Well, we might ask the same question of those who criticize the eyewitnesses who wrote our Bibles. Here's Pastor Steve now with some powerful encouragement for us about the return of Jesus. Well, the Bible teaches that believers in Christ really look forward to the return of Jesus. In fact, uh, something we greatly anticipate, the Bible calls this the blessed Hope in Titus chapter 2 verse 13. But for those who have never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, His return will be anything but blessed. They don't anticipate it. You see, the world of unbelievers, for them, the second coming of Christ is not blessed. It is a terrifying prospect, a horrible, a horrible thing, because His return will mean judgment for them and their sins. In fact, In John chapter 5, Jesus said, the Father has given me the authority to execute judgment on people. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul speaks in strong language about Jesus coming back again to to deal in judgment with those who have rejected him. It's no wonder one of the first statements in the book of Revelation, which focuses on the return of, of Christ, is uh, is that the world, when all the tribes of the earth see him, every eye will see him, the Bible says, when all the tribes of the earth see him, they will mourn. They will mourn. They're, they're not mourning out of repentance. They're mourning out of, uh, out of guilt for their sin and fear of punishment and judgment. And it is this very fear, this terrifying thought 
of a returning Jesus who would come again to judge sin that has caused some to actually deny and to reject the doctrine of the second coming of Christ, in spite of the fact that scores of passages in the Bible refer to his second coming, the world remains skeptical and unprepared for this cataclysmic event. And sometimes this skepticism can creep even into the lives of believers so that we begin to have doubts about the return of Christ. Or if we don't have doubts about it, we just sort of put it out of our mind. It's a secondary issue. It's uh, something that really doesn't have an impact on the way we live each and every day. Well, the Apostle Peter ministered to a group of Christians who were struggling with the doctrine of Christ's return. They, as you know, if you've been studying 2 Peter with us, you know that they were influenced by false teachers who were putting erroneous thoughts into their minds, scoffing at the very notion that God was going to break into history with the second coming of Christ. Let's look at 2 Peter again, chapter 3. We said this last week, but uh, you really need to see this if we're to understand the background of our study in chapter 1. In 2 Peter 3, verse 3, Peter says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of Creation. And so Peter predicts that in the last days, which really began with the, with the first coming of Christ, there will be those who will mock and scoff at the second coming of Christ, saying, look, everything just continues in a uniform manner. God's not coming back in the person of Christ. It's not going to happen. Where, where is it? I mean, he said it so many years ago and hadn't taken place, and so they scoff at it. And so Peter writes to these believers because he's concerned for their spiritual welfare. They were, they were listening to this stuff, and, and some of them were embracing this and confused by this. And it's very important that Peter address this because once you have doubts or apathy about Christ's return, it will inevitably lead to a slackness in your spiritual life. It, it, it must because the blessed hope is a purifying hope. And you take that away, you take away a great motivating factor for godliness. In fact, that's why Peter, if you look in Second Peter 3, verse 11, states this, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In other words, since the future holds this, and everything as you know it is going to be changed, how much more should you be holy in your conduct, understanding that that life as we know it is very temporal. You ought to be godly and holy. And, and But he's not finished with that. Notice verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. That is to say, in light of the fact that Christ is coming again and he will establish his first millennial kingdom and then eternal kingdom, uh, you need to be sure that, that you're not just diligent about this, but it affects your life, that there is blamelessness and spotlessness in your life. And notice verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. So we understand from this that that Peter is emphasizing that the the doctrine, the teaching of the second coming of Christ uh, affects the way we live. We're to be steadfast. We're to be holy. We're to be spotless. If you remove that, you really weaken your Christian walk on a daily basis. Now, the way Peter addresses this problem is to give his readers and, and us by way of application two reasons, two specific reasons for why we can be absolutely certain about the second coming of Christ so that we don't have to have any doubts 
that we not only can be certain about it, we should be enthused about it. It is a certainty. It is a surety. It is, it is something that's reliable. And he does this in a passage that we began to look at last week. And I'd like to read the whole passage to you, and then we're going to continue beginning at verse 19. But I want you to see it in context, because in context, he's giving us two reasons for the certainty of Christ's return. Beginning at chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. These verses are extremely important to us for several reasons. One is sort of a side note because the truth is is contained in this passage. But one of the reasons this is very important is that this is one of those grand statements, this uh, uh, verses 20 and 21, one of those grand statements in the Bible about the process of inspiration, biblical inspiration. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired of God which means all scripture is God breathed out, that what you have on the pages of of what we call scripture, what the Bible calls scripture, comes from God. But 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us the fact of inspiration. It doesn't tell us how it got there. It's left to Peter in this passage to tell us something of the process, though it is mysterious still to us because none of us have ever experienced inspiration. Uh, I teach every week, but I don't teach as an inspired speaker. I simply explain to you what is inspired. So I don't, I've never experienced that process and, and none of us, none of us ever will or have, but the biblical writers did. And a little bit later, we're going to get into that. But this is one of those grand statements about the ultimately the authority of scripture. If you, if you can grab hold of this, you will understand that a scripture is authoritative. There's also uh, an interesting side note in this, in that uh, in verse 20, where Peter says no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, um, the Roman Catholic Church says, see, that proves it, that you cannot interpret the Bible on your own. You need the church, meaning the church from Vatican, to explain this to you. Is that what Peter is saying? Well, we'll look at that in a little while. And so I've hopefully whet your appetite for this. But the main reason why this passage is important because, as I said, it reveals two reasons why you can be sure that Christ will come again, even when you're faced with skeptics, even uh, even if they might be in your own family, those who, who mock at the coming of Christ and mock your faith, or maybe some uh, there are some doubts that have entered your mind because of some television uh, documentaries that question the truthfulness of the Bible with so-called new evidence, which is really nothing uh, that should that should cause us alarm, but some have uh, have doubted because of that. Well, these verses will help you because they they ought to give you great assurance that Jesus is coming again. We we saw last week the first reason why we can know for certain that Christ will come again is because of number one 
you're taking notes, the eyewitness testimony of the apostle Peter. He gave an eyewitness testimony. In verses 16 through 18, Peter defended himself and his teaching about the coming of Christ by stating that what he taught about Christ's return was not a cleverly devised tale. It was not, in other words, an invented story for the purpose of deceiving gullible people who will just buy into anything that has a religious little twang to it. He says, on the contrary, he said, what I taught about Christ's return has credibility and it has substance because he says, I actually witnessed the glorious second coming appearance of Christ. Now, Peter obviously didn't witness the, the coming of Christ in terms of when he literally comes to establish his kingdom. But what he's talking about is along with James and, and John, Peter was privileged to see Jesus transfigured before him. This is taken from Matthew chapter 17, which we looked at last week, that Jesus took these three apostles up into a high mountain, and before them, he was transfigured. That is to say, his appearance changed. It's as if he pulled back his, his flesh, which veiled his Shekinah glory, that intrinsic glory that belongs only to God. And for those few minutes, or however long it was on that mount, they had a glimpse, a preview, a taste of his glorious second coming appearance. And that's what what Peter's talking about. They were eyewitnesses of the same glorious appearance he will have when he returns. And not only did they see this, but Peter says, we heard with our ears the father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So Peter's point is that what he taught them was not a religious fable, but was something that he saw with his own eyes, heard with his own ears, And if Peter had stopped here, if this is all he had said, that would have been sufficient for us to have confidence in Christ's promise to return to earth. The Bible says that every truth is validated by two or three witnesses. And these were three witnesses. These men also had no reason to lie. They eventually, all three of them, gave their lives for the cause of of Christ. John, the apostle John, they tried to kill. They couldn't. Eventually, he was exiled to the island of Patmos and, and there died as a prisoner. But they eventually gave their lives, all of them, for the cause of Christ, which would indicate the truthfulness of their testimony because nobody dies for something he knows to be false. People die for what they believe is true. And so Peter did not stop, though, with his eyewitness accounts of Christ's second coming because in verses 19 through 21, which is what we want to focus on, he closed the chapter by giving us one more reason how we can know that Christ will come again. So we move from the testimony of an eyewitness to the testimony of the Old Testament scriptures. And we begin by looking at the beginning of verse 19. Peter writes, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure. At this point in his argument, and remember, it is an argument. He's out to prove that believers really can be certain of the Lord's return, regardless of those who scoff at it. Peter now turns from his own personal eyewitness account of Christ's second coming to what he calls the prophetic word. Now, what does Peter mean by the prophetic word? That's important for us to nail down. What what does he mean? Does he mean just prophecy, just future predictions? What What does he mean? The prophetic word was an expression used by the Jewish people in Peter's day to refer to the Old Testament in its entirety, not not just future predictions, not only those portions of Scripture that contains uh, the future prophecies. You see, All parts of the Old Testament contain prophecies about the coming of Messiah. Do you remember when uh, Jesus met up with the disciples on the road to Emmaus? 
they were they were so um, hurt and and in despair because they they said that we thought he was the Christ he, we thought he was the Messiah but uh, but they killed him and and we don't know what we're going to do now and the Bible says that Jesus explained to them out of all the scriptures beginning with Moses taking them through all the 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 old, what we would call the Old Testament the Hebrew scriptures uh, explaining to them how these things had to happen, that all the Old Testament scriptures spoke of Christ. And they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? Wouldn't that have been glorious to be there and hear Jesus explain the Bible? But part of that is to understand that the prophetic word, how Peter uses the prophetic word, was he was referring to the Old Testament in its entirety, which includes all the prophecies about Messiah's first and second comings. Okay? So, we know that the prophetic word means the Old Testament in its entirety. What then did Peter say about it that ought to give us and will give us confidence in Christ's second coming? Let's, let's move on. He said, we have the prophetic word, the Old Testament, made more sure. Now, what did he mean by that? Quite frankly, I need to tell you that there are good and competent Bible teachers who are divided on the interpretation and precise meaning of these words. Here's one view, and this is a view by, by many good Bible teachers, and I'll just, I'll just give it to you. And you know by giving it to you that I'm not going to agree with this. You know, I found that out when commentaries say, here are many views. They're never going to get to the view they believe is right until the last one. But it's helpful to know. Some take it that Peter is teaching that what he observed on the Mount of Transfiguration actually has made the Old Testament prophecies more sure or certain. That word more sure means certain, firm, reliable. And and they believe that what he observed on the Mount actually has made the prophecies more certain or secure or sure in the sense that it has confirmed the trustworthiness of Scripture. In other words, They say that before the transfiguration, we only knew the certainty of Christ's second coming by faith, faith in the promises of the Bible. But now, now, because of Peter's eyewitness account of Christ's second coming appearance, what that has done is made us even more certain of the promises of Scripture because it has confirmed the Scriptures. We're sure, we were sure before, but now we're even more sure because of this eyewitness account. Now, that's one interpretation, and uh, it, is, it is held to by uh, uh, perhaps most of the, the commentaries that, uh, that I have in my library. But uh, there are, um, I think there's a problem with this. There's, there are some reasons why uh, I don't hold this. I'm going to tell you the, the main one. The main one is that, and the main problem that I see here is that uh, this view is based on having to add the word made to the sentence. If you'll notice your uh, your translations, almost all the good translations have the word made added. It says, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure. You see, the word made was not in the original text. It's not in the Greek text. If you have a New American Standard Bible, or uh, I believe in a King James version, you'll see it's in italics. It's not that in the NIV. It should be because that's an added word by the the translators. And uh, when translators add a word, they're not trying to distort the Bible. They add a word in order to, to try to clarify and smooth out a sentence because language just doesn't work where you take one language and put it into another and it's, and it's a perfect fit. 
sentence structure doesn't work like that. And so there are some times where translators, for our benefit, have added a word to just sort of smooth out the sentence. But I'm afraid in this case, uh, it hasn't uh, helped. It's it's hindered our understanding. Here, I'm going to read to you the way it literally would read in the Greek text. And we have more sure the prophetic word. We have more sure the prophetic word. In other words, he's saying the Old Testament scriptures are more certain than Peter's eyewitness account of Christ's second coming. Did you get that? The Old Testament scriptures are more certain than Peter's eyewitness accounts of Christ's second coming. Now, how can this be? Let's think through this a little bit. Peter went to great lengths to build a case and to convince us that his observation of Christ's transfiguration gave us certainty of the second coming. Why then would he turn around and weaken his point by saying that what he said wasn't certain? Now we have something that's more certain. Does this mean that that he's now changing what he just said, his eyewitness account, uh, his testimony is not certain? No, that that wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense that he... uh, that he just built a case and then he's tearing it down. No, the answer is this, that Peter is not saying that his eyewitness account is in any way diminished. He's, that, that's, that's illogical for him to build a case and then tear it down. But what he is saying, and watch this, if what he and the other apostles saw and heard make the return of Christ certain, and they do, then the Old Testament prophecies make the return of Christ more certain, more certain, you see, Peter's making a comparison with what he saw, which makes the coming of Christ certain, and what the Old Testament predicts, which makes the coming of Christ even more certain. He's not saying what he said, what he saw isn't certain. It's just that the Bible is more certain. And let me explain. How could it be more certain? Now, listen, Peter's point is that his account of the transfiguration of Christ was only one proof. That's all it was. One event, one proof, one prophetic vision and statement concerning the return of Jesus. That's all it was. It was an important one, but it was only one. However, the Old Testament scriptures, the prophetic word, offers hundreds, hundreds of promises and statements on his return. That's why it's more certain. Not because Peter, what he saw is uncertain, but because of the volume of prophecies that make it more certain. Do you realize that that the Old Testament contains 333 prophecies dealing with the coming of Christ? You ought to write this down because it can be very, very useful in evangelizing and witnessing to people. As they say things like, well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, you can tell them why you believe the Bible. And one of the reasons we believe the Bible is God's word is because of prophecy, fulfilled prophecy. There are 333 distinct Prophetic statements concerning Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. 109 of them have already been specifically, and I might add literally, fulfilled in his first coming. The reason I I add and emphasize literally is because if they were literally fulfilled in his first coming, they will be literally fulfilled in his second coming. There's no reason to spiritualize any of these prophecies. So even if all we had was Peter's firsthand testimony of Jesus' second coming, that's enough. But God gives us even more, not only in the New Testament, but also the Old, where so many prophecies had already been fulfilled. Pastor Steve Kreloff will have some examples on the next broadcast. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. 
The website has information about service times, directions, and the various other ministries of Lakeside. If you'd like to visit Lakeside but don't have Internet access, call the office for directions and times. The number is 727-441-1714. You can also call that number if God is blessing you through this ministry and you'd like to help us keep it on the air. You can give by phone at 727-441-1714. If you'd rather give online, we have a giving page at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Thank you for your generous gifts and for your prayers. Also on the website is our message archive page. You can listen again to today's broadcast if you missed something. You can catch up on previous programs in this series, or you can freely stream or download any of the hundreds of other audio files in the archive. That's at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. One of the things I've noticed about social media is that it's both good and bad. You've seen that, right? I love being able to so easily stay in touch with my far-flung family and friends. But on the other hand, there's a lot of stuff there that's better left unsaid. And then there are the downright heretical statements like the one my wife saw from a friend who'd been saved for decades asking, What color is your aura? Oh my. We have this amazing book full of truth that protects us from falling for Satan's tricks and subtle lies. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will be sharing how important it is to pay attention to that book. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. There's a lot going on right now. 